Hello and hail. We are now more than halfway through the first arc of this podcast, the Ebonheart arc. This was sort of just testing the waters, seeing what it was like to try and tell stories through our characters in Skyrim. And we're really, really excited about what's coming next. But before any of that, we want to hear the stories that you guys have to tell. So please share them with us. Uh, any little quick encounters you might have had that you had a lot of fun with, or tell us about your character, or any anything like that. It doesn't have to be with Skyrim, just any RPG or you know, D&D, whatever it is. Send them our way so that we can uh, share them on the podcast, or just send them to us. And if you don't want them shared, that's fine. You can just let us know. Um, but we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you have enjoyed this arc, and we are very excited excited for you to hear uh, what is coming next. Okay, thanks. Hello and welcome to part five of the Ebonheart arc of the Pretenders Guild podcast. My name is Dylan. And my name is Chris. I'm glad you remembered it was part five, because I didn't. It is part five, right? Yeah. I got that right. <laughs> you nailed, nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed that shit. Part five of eight. We have yeah, started to, yeah. so we're to hammer that down. A little bit more than halfway through now. I think after eight, we were hopefully going to get some uh, stories from some listeners. So if you guys have stories, like role-playing stories for us from either the Elder Scrolls or D&D or whatever it is that you role-play in, send them to us either at Pretenders Guild on Twitter or thepretendersguild at gmail.com and we can gather them together and read them on the podcast, hopefully. And Jake, if you're listening, yes, Space Ninjas are uh, applicable role-playing criteria. Yeah, so, agreed. Please send us all your, uh, all your awesome adventures. Yeah. Without so, further ado, let's get into it. Let's not put real music on. <laughs> this is real music. <laughs> So when last we left Sings by Moon, he was uh, getting uh, the rundown on Golden Glow Estate from Brynjolf. Uh, he had been largely welcomed into the Thieves Guild, been given a nice suit of armor, was able to pawn some of his goods, mm-hmm. made uh, made out with a couple new daggers with some enchantments. And I thought he, you were gonna say he made out with like a couple. He of... made out with a couple, uh, you know, some dudes, some chicks. He likes to he likes to fly. He's got a weird lizard mouth. So making out for him is kind of like. His his tongue is a little longer. It's like Gene Simmons. It's not like alien long, but he's been he's been no. He hasn't really been hanging out very much at the Thieves Guild. Uh, so much so as trying to procure a means to get the fuck out of Skyrim because he wants to go home to Morrowind. So he's been told about this estate on the outside uh, outside the walls of Riften in the lake to the like the northeast of the city. Uh, this estate, which was the, a honey farm. And the honey is then sold to the Blackbriar Meadery, run by Bigwig Maven Blackbriar, Bigwig in town, all that. Yeah, BW. So Sings by Moon is is basically given like the layout of the whole estate and told that he is free to stay at the Thieves Guild cistern. And so it's about mid afternoon now since he was on his uh, his his mission to go shake down all the store keeps uh, around Riften, and so he decides he's gonna sleep the night and try to wake up around like midnight 1am and head on over to the golden glow state so as he sleeps he has a very very brief dream you can kind of remember when he wakes up it's he's he's standing in the middle of just this meadow 
some part of the world he's never been before. And you can clearly see his shadow is being cast uh, as the sun's behind him. And the longer he looks at his shadow, uh, the more it, more it grows. And the shadow just continues to grow and grow and grow until all of a sudden this plane is just like this blackness, uh, which he realizes is uh, the back of his eyelids as he's sort of, you ever woken up? Yeah. Uh, Woken up before you open your eyes. You're waking up into yourself. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yep. So he's he wakes up. It's around 1 a.m. He makes his way over to uh, the Golden Glow Estate. So he swims through the the lake, comes up upon the shore, uh, hides in the you know in the shadows beneath lots of large trees that surround uh, the the estate. Can see that there's lots of mercenaries and sentries are on the premises. So he. As uh, deftly as he can, he moves through, moves through like the brush up to the front of the house. He's told that there's a way to go into the sewer, but I mean, he spends enough time with sewers. Sewers are gross, yeah. And he is confident enough in his uh, ability to just get things done. That going in the front door is probably what he would do if he was there to assassinate Aaron Goff, who is the owner of Golden Glow Estate, um, and also the. Uh, the just to reiterate, the meaning of him being here in the first place is to steal the contents of the safe upstairs, st- steal the prized Queen Bee statue of Arangoth, and burn three of the uh, three of the beehives that are being used to farm the honey. So he manages to get his way in, uh, lockpicking uh, his way into the front door, and he sees that uh, as soon as he gets into the manor, it's pretty dimly lit, uh, very ornate things all around. There's lots of nice silver bowls and tapestries, and and there's these guards and or mercenaries just sort of sitting in their like muddy boots, just getting everything dirty. Yeah. Uh, and seeing them just kind of ugh, judges them really quick as he moves moves through uh, the first floor, gets his way up to the second floor, uh, where he finds the room of Arangoth. And as he opens the door, he sees that the wood elf is sitting uh, sort of with his back to the door reading a book by candlelight. He's just <laughs> humming to himself. And Sinza Moon sneaks up very, very, very gingerly. And the first thing he sees is the key ring around uh, Arangoth's waist on his belt. And he can very easily just pluck that. And he sees that the safe is in the other opposite corner of the room, still out of eye shot. He could pretty easily take the keys and probably even get into the safe without even being heard. That's not what he's going to do, is it? That's just not how he does things. And he thinks about this and he remembers, you know, okay, okay, I've been in dire straits and I have an opportunity now that I should not screw up. I should try my best. And so he, for a moment, just reaches for the key ring. And then he remembers ever so well that Brynjolf told him if it was absolutely necessary, Arangoth could be disposed of. And all he really remembers saying to himself was, Arangoth can be disco- disposed of. And all of a sudden, he just gets flooded with memories of just the good times he's had as an assassin in Morrowind. It's just like a like a montage of, of things that I'm sneaking up behind people and just stabbing them in the kidneys and like reaching around, getting them in the heart, and just like 90s sitcom music plays in the background. <laughs> and he's just like, things are going a little bit better for him. He's thinking about going home tomorrow. It just It's just all, the, you know, like one of those instances that you have. And he realizes, nah, killing, killing is the way to go. And he just jabs his, his dagger into the back right in the center of the back of Van Gogh, puts his hand over his mouth instantly. There's like, 
you can feel the enchantment on his dagger is like a life stealing mm. one, and you can feel that uh, the the body of Arangoth just starts to tremor and shake, and then eventually, after a few moments, goes goes limp as can you hear this sort of like arcane sucking sound Ooh. into the dagger, and all of a sudden things just just things start firing off in Sings by Moon's brain, and he is just ah oh, he is in the bloodlust, and so he just takes the you can barely even you know so excitedly takes the key ring off. He's he's treating this a little bit like a Dark Brotherhood <laughs> fantasy uh, of his that he's just been so cooped up in and destitute, and he's now it's like the the first moment of respite after like a, a long period of not feeling like yourself. Right. Uh, he's finally back to... Or like when a serial killer gets out of jail and immediately kills again. Yeah, it's like they've been sitting in that <laughs> prison just like picking at their fingernails for like 35 years just finding out how to fake how to be normal and then they get out and they're just like, yes! Yeah, just I go. just, I love the idea of just things my mood just being this total like functioning psychopath. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, the, the Elder Scrolls universe is not one very much like our own and so uh matters of life and death are are much different in my opinion uh and especially in sings by moon's opinion so he uh, excitedly enough gets the keys off of um off of Arangoth and goes over to a safe finds uh a, a piece of paper and a bunch of gold like two or three hundred gold and he's like oh, oh yes for so, sure so he takes that finds this piece of paper and it's a bill of sale the Golden Glow Estate apparently has been sold to uh, someone with some sort of strange name uh, from Solitude, and this was not really part of his briefing. So this is this is news. He's he's reading it pretty you know uh, quickly, just sort of skimming it over. Interesting. And then he sees at the top uh, that it was brokered by someone who chooses not to use a name, just uses some sort of strange symbol, and uh, he remembers that he had been told that. The uh, there was someone going ab- around dealing with all the people uh, that the Thieves Guild dealt with and trying to talk them out of it, and no one knows the name. So presumably this is the same person. And he finds the Queen Bee statue over in the corner. Everything is set up in this in this uh, elf's room. Takes all that, and then as he's on his way back down, remembers to himself, oh yes, I'm supposed to burn those beehives. And he's sort of like jauntily going downstairs, like feeling really nice. Totally forgets that there's like four mercenary guards <laughs> just down there. And then he's just doing that. Get down the stairs and oh, oh. And then immediately four heads turn, and these these like fur armor clad, uh, just buff dudes, yeah, swords, buff, buff sure. dudes with swords and maces. One of them has an axe, just close in on Sings of the Moon, and. Um, unlike the, his previous encounter in, in the uh, in the wild where he was attacked by bandits, he feels very much kind of in control of this situation, and it's almost like he's you know time has slowed down a bit for him. So he is actually able to just sort of maneuver his way around these four guards, using them and the the furniture in the room as sort of like just sort of setting them up to bump into each other. It's almost like a Three Stooges skit as he's just going around and, and taking shots underneath their armor and weakening them down, eventually getting one up underneath the ribcage. <laughs> Done with him. One of them swings across with his mace as Sing Moon just dodges out of the way, stabs upward with his, with his dagger and <laughs> gets him in the throat. Very easily able to deal with all four of these as he's feeling pretty good and he's ready to light some things on fire so he he remembers that he's had this ability since he was a child to be able to conjure a flame in his left hand and uh the flame you know starts from his palm and then he's able to just throw it so 
he immediately just you know, puts away one of his daggers. and So you can do this for a little bit, but then eventually the, the spell will stop working. Mm-hmm. So he runs out in this just rush and just, yes, and gets into the uh, the front yard where there's all, there's more mercenary guys. <laughs> and it seems to him at this point is just, he's just jolly, just running around having fun. Sees these beehives and is just immediately <laughs> just lays siege to all of them with this with this fireball spell until his hand no longer was able to produce this flame. Catches a few of the guards who are pursuing him as he's sort of like making his way over to the edge uh, of the of the island so he can just jump back into the water. And as he's looking back, he's counting just in, internally. One, two, three, four. Wait a second. <laughs> oh, no. He remember, remembers he was only supposed to burn three of them and it, man, what the, what the hell? And just jumps uh, out into the lake as he's, there's arrows just <laughs> uh, flying over his shoulders as he's jumping down. Uh, and as he's swimming, he's thinking to himself, oh, I might not get paid, but yeah, I found that 200 and 300 gold, so yeah, fuck it, whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> so eventually he makes his way off the island and back to the Thieves' Guild. And when he gets there, he informs Brynjolf and Mercer of, of what happened. And Mercer Frey is pissed. Uh, extremely unhappy. And Mercer says, you know, you just fucked things up so bad for us with our only client in town. You better pray that she doesn't want your head because she wants to meet you. And it tells Sings by Moon that Maven Blackbriar, the, the owner of this contract, has requested audience with him at the... But the bean bar in Ripton. And then he used to go there immediately. He forfeits his his money earnings. He is sort of gets this this feeling like like kind of like the adrenaline has is set uh is like worn off a little yeah, bit. He's crashing now. And he's just realizing, oh this is unsustainable. <laughs> <laughs> and I sort of scratches his chin as he starts heading up back into Ripton to go to the to meet Maven Blackbriar. And as he's walking into the BM Barb, he makes his way like up and around up the stairs. He sees the Argonian innkeeper who is not very fond of him. And immediately he says, Hey, hey, you, you, you're not allowed in here. As Singleman just keeps walking, walks up the stairs. No, you! And he follows them all the way up the stairs until Singleman approaches a table where he sees Maven Blackbriar sitting and her uh, bodyguard. And he sits down. At the table with them as uh, the innkeeper walks up. I thought I told you. He realizes who Sings by Moon is sitting with. And just some eyes dart across at each other. Maven, excuse me. I'll be on my way. And continues down. And all of a sudden, Sings by Moon's kind of like, he's mulling all of this over. Uh, his recent position in the Thieves Guild. And he, he's getting some clout. Mm. He sees the, 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 the power that he just kept walking and... Maven Blackbriar, though, has a very, very, very sour look on her face as she begins to just lay into him um, about destroying the the five beehives. You completely wrecked all production of, of honey. So we're going to have to find someone else, and you're going to help us. And so she starts filling him in on a lot of the, a lot of like the political and, and business aspects of the of Riften and mm-hmm. the cities beyond uh, and she tells him about a place called Hunnig Blue Hunnig Brew Meadery uh, a competitor mm. and tells him all about 
uh, an entrance into the sewers where he is supposed to go and poison some vat of mead that he's to have prepared. And Saint Moon is just realizing more and more as he's being roped into this. He loves the the new attention that he's getting, and or not attention, but uh, power mm-hmm. that he's getting. Uh, but the politics of all of this is really starting to, to grain on his head. But he takes in all the instructions and then makes his way back to the Thieves Guild uh, where he fills the, the rest of the uh, hierarchy in on his contract and rests for the night, hoping that he can somehow figure out what exactly he's supposed to be doing in the best way to get back to Morrowind. When we left off with Nilfane Nozero, the Dark Elf, he had decided that he was going to go south and join the Dawn Guard, the order who fights against vampires. Mm-hmm. And along the way, um, just as he was getting into the area around Riften, he happened to run into an orc on the side of the road, and they had kind of like a battle to the death. Just a, a pure fight. This orc was looking for a good death, and, and Nilfane was able to give it to him, and it kind of, um, kind of made him feel good in a, in a strange way. He performed a little funeral for the guy, and he started to feel some sensations he had never really experienced. And and now, so picking up from there, Nilfane finds that, that his, his thoughts and his actions are finally lining up a little bit, because since he's always been against violence, but he's always killed, it's just been this sort of, he's been a contradiction in a lot of ways. And he's been living that contradiction for a, lo- a long time. So he's just, you know, he's, he's near Rift, and he, he heads over there after fighting this orc. He's still planning on heading to the Dawn Guard. But he wants to make a quick stop. He gets rid of his armor and his weapons. He's had these mm. this this finely made dark leather armor, um, very spooky looking. He's got a little Ooh. black cape going on. It's been his look for a very long time. And he's had these two sort of ornate swords that he's done a whole lot of killing with. But now he finally just decides that that's been the representation of a past version of himself. And now he just he goes back to the Nilfane that first came into Skyrim, wearing just fur armor. He has a gray, a tattered gray cloak, uh, and just a couple of swords at his side. Just two steel swords, nothing fancy this time around. He's got his bow. He heads back out on the road. So one night, he's just been traveling for a while, doing his thing. One night, he's just sleeping under the stars and still heading off toward the Dawn Guard. He doesn't have the exact location, so there's been a little bit of sort of hunting sometimes during the day, traveling during the day, hunting, and then camping doing the same thing day after day. He doesn't have his horse anymore. He well, left his horse somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> On the side of a mountain <laughs> he just somewhere. just left the yeah, upside down somewhere. <laughs> but one night while he's sleeping under the stars, he wakes up because he hears some something, something something really weird. It's whispering. He, he wakes up and he, and he sort of, yeah, just the strange, he, he doesn't know what's happening, but he, he wakes up, he just jumps up, draws his sword, and he's just sort of crouching there waiting, waiting for, for more whispers, but he doesn't hear anything. So he's like, okay kind of, you know, leans up against a tree trunk with the swords in his hands and drifts back into an uneasy sleep. Um, there's, you know, the sound of the forest humming all over, all around him, making making a lot of noises, and he's like, okay, maybe that's that's what I was hearing, but it's strange. He doesn't know what he just heard. Mm-hmm. So he travels all the next day, but he still can't shake that feeling. 
the whispering last night. He feels like somebody's watching him, like somebody's following him. And, and more than once, he kind of runs off ahead. He'll just be walking, and then he gets this weird, like, chill. Or, like, you know, looks down his back, like he feels somebody near him. He doesn't see anybody, so he'll sort of, like, run up the road a little bit, and then hide off to the side, and just wait. But no one ever comes. There's no one ever, like, following up the road behind him, skulking about, you know. He doesn't know. There's plenty of people who might want him dead. These Penitus Oculatus agents that he's mm-hmm. run into. Any number of bandits that he's crossed. The Dark Brotherhood, the Thieves Guild, these, these organizations that he's abandoned. He's got 99 problems. He's got 99 problems, and who knows <laughs> what they are. Uh, <laughs> but no one, no one ever seems to come. And he still can't shake this feeling. So that night, once again... He makes camp. He's a, he's a lot more sure. He doesn't even light a fire this time. He's like, you know, I'm just I'm eating stale bread tonight. I'm keeping it cool. I'm not gonna go off hunting. I'm just I'm gonna gonna keep it quiet here and wait and see. He tries to stay up as late as he can. Eventually, he drifts into sleep. Yet again, he's woken by whispers. Really strange. He doesn't really know what the hell it is. And you know, once again, he wakes up, but he's totally alone. There's nobody around. There's no sign that there's even anybody around. There's, you know, how sometimes. When, when something's about to happen, like the forest will go silent, you always hear that in stories. Right. But the forest, the forest isn't silent, the forest is just doing its whole thing. And again, it doesn't feel like it's, you know, a bird fluttering nearby, it feels like a whisper, it feels like somebody was speaking to him in maybe a language that he, he once knew, but he doesn't anymore, it's just this really strange feeling. He drifts back into sleep, in and out, and this is when things start to kind of come through. He sees the shapes, these figures, just circling around him in, in his sleep. Um, and although he, he kind of understands that he's dreaming, but it's still, it's where he is. You know, the tree that he's leaning up against, he can still feel it at his back. His bedroll is laid out underneath him, but he just sees these figures. And he can't identify anything about them, but they're just, they're surrounding him. And once again, snaps up, swords in his hands, nobody's there. This repeats. He's, at this point, he's not even heading towards the Dawn Guard anymore. He's just sort of going from place to place feeling really paranoid about like what's happening uh-huh. because this is this is strange he's not experienced this before once again you know he you can only stay awake for so long before you have to fall asleep and and Nilfane almost is welcoming sleep because he wants to he wants to no, he doesn't want to invite it in but he wants to know what's happening and this time he falls asleep the figures appear and this time he can tell it's Dunmer and they feel familiar mm-hmm. and he starts to think he, memories, strange things are coming to him, but again wakes up and the Dunmer are gone. He just sort of shivers and, and keeps doing his thing. He's being haunted in some way, but he doesn't really know why. The next day, the whispers come first, before he sleeps. And then when he finally does fall asleep, one of the figures, one of these strange Dunmer that he's been, been seeing, finally steps forward speaking words that he can't understand and delivers finally this or he this figure imparts a message to to Nilfane these images he sees fire he sees a dark symbol some sort he sees Daedra and he sees a Dunmer none of these things he really recognizes Mm -hmm. but he sees them all the next morning he wakes up he doesn't feel like he's being watched anymore so this this image these, these images were imparted to him and now he feels alone again so he, he sort of just wants to, to shake it off. He's always been ambivalent to these sorts of things, to kind of everything. Mm-hmm. He just wants to keep heading south towards the Dawn Guard. At dusk, he sees something off on the horizon. This has been a very un- uneventful day. Now we're going to get into the meat and the bones of Nilfane's oh, story oh, here. Oh, here we go. He sees something off in the distance, uh, this plume of smoke, and he realizes that there's a burning house somewhere south, out, out in the middle of nowhere. 
he he kind of like rushes over to it. It's just staying hidden, skulking through the trees, but hurrying towards it. And it's just this this burning house, just out in the middle of nowhere. And and he he doesn't see anybody around. The roof is gone. It looks like it's collapsed backwards, and the, the fire is just sort of slithering around the outside walls. It's not really like totally on fire anymore, but you can tell it was just pretty bad not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he heads over to it and, and just kind of walks in. You get through the collapsed door because he doesn't know. This this reminds him a whole lot of what he just saw in his dream or what this figure told him about in his dream. And he sees, sure enough, a, a charred corpse. It's, you know, basically a, a pile of bones and ash. So he sees this charred body. Again, the, the smell of death, which he seems to never be able to escape. He see, And he, uh, sure enough, he sees a strange sigil carved into the floor. And it's kind of burnt and it's hard to really see. And he's never really seen anything like that before. And he's just sort of shielding his eyes from the smoke. And he hears these whispers again. Now he's awake and he's like, okay, what, what's happening here? And he turns around and he realizes there's two people standing there. And they're not figures, they're not ghostly apparitions of any sort. There's just a Dunmer and there's a Nord standing out in the field in front of this this burning house. So he kind of quickly steps back out and he just he's looking at them, smoke sort of stinging his eyes. And uh, the Dunmer of the two, there's two men wearing robes. Um, this Dunmer calls out to him and he says, you're far from Morrowind, brethren. And he's got this kind of sinister tone to his voice, and Nilfane immediately knows something, something's going on here. He has no idea what it is, but something's going on here. So this, this Dunmer calls out to him, and, and Nilfane can kind of understand, well, I'm putting two and two together here. There's, there's some baddies over here. There's a burning house and a dead body right there. I think that they have something to do with each other. And um, Nilfane, he can see that, you know, this Dunmer is kind of stepping forward, and behind him, the Nord has got his hand behind his back. Clearly, he's pulling out a weapon. He can tell what's happening here. But he still, he speaks to them, he has questions, and he asks them, you know, what happened here? And before the Dunmar or the Nord can say anything back to him, he hears a single word in his head, defiler. He doesn't know what it means, but he hears the word defiler in his head. So this Dunmar says, you know, to, to answer Nilfin's question, he says, had to burn the bones, had to be rid of the ancestors and cast off their ghosts, remove the ghost fence, remove the protection and open the door. He doesn't say it like he's reading, he says it like he's talking, but you get the idea. And, and Nilfink sort of just, he makes a puzzled face at this. He has no idea what this guy is talking about, but it's kind of keying into his dream a little bit. And then the other man, the Nord, who's with the Dumber, he, he begins to step forward and says, no interlopers. He doesn't want to deal with this. Whatever his Dunmer buddy might be trying to talk to Nilfane about, he's, he's not into it, into it at all. So meanwhile, you know, this, this Nord is now approaching him, dagger in hand. He's coming at him. Needed a direct line to the Daedra, the Dunmer says. Had to burn away the ancestors. A shame about the girl, though. He points to the house and to the body. A distant cousin, I think. And a shame about you as well, brethren. Wrong place, wrong time. The Nord suddenly charges him, and the elf, the Dumber, starts casting a fireball. He just got it in his hand suddenly. Nilfane's ready for that, though. His swords flash into his hands, and he easily deflects away the Nord's dagger. He, this is, this is, you know, what he's used to. But the man still comes at him hard and, and ferociously, and he swings his left fist into Nilfane's face, and he staggers backwards, um, but the Nord pays for that punch with his hand as Nilfane brings his blades up quickly and just takes the guy's hand right off, sends it like flying into the air, obviously into extreme violence immediately. The man screams and falls to his knees just in time for Nilfane to see the Dunmer blasting them with fire. Nilfane ducks away and rolls back behind cover just in time again to see the Nord completely immolated. He catches that Dunmer's that fireball and once again there's just more charred flesh and the smell of it in the air. 
Nilfane charges the Dunmer, calling out Defiler for some reason. He doesn't know that that word keeps coming into his head. He calls out the word Defiler just before slashing the man across the stomach and throat. Drops him down, bleeding, trying to staunch his own wounds. Casts some spell, but the bleeding is too swift. Nilfane looks down at the man and wonders what just happened. He's been doing this a lot, kind of having things happen and wondering what's happening. Why did, why did he come here? What, what led him to this house in the middle of nowhere? As far as he knew, he was just on his way to the Dawngar, but suddenly he's on like the southernmost tip of Skyrim, finding this burning house in the middle of the woods, and he just killed two seemingly like Daedra worshippers or something. He doesn't mm-hmm. know what they are. But he killed these two men. He has no idea why he keeps calling him Defiler. He has no idea what's in this house. But then he's filled with this strange feeling of warmth and satisfaction. And it's in that moment that Nilfane realizes that he was just visited by ancestral spirits. Now, ancestors Mm. and ancestral ghosts and spirits and honoring ancestors has always been a big part of Dunmer culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, some Dunmer have been able to summon their ancestral spirits to fight beside them. Nilfane, who has been so cut off from that side of his lineage, has Mm. just... He's never experienced this before. And he's heard of the Ancestral Guardians and, and the, the Dunmer, but he'd never known them to be more than like stories. So he had never been faithful to that. He'd never really cared. And yet he was called upon now, and he had heeded that call. And strangely enough, it felt good. So he heads back into the burning house or what's left of it. Uh, inside, he can see the stone hearth, and he sees something sort of etched on it. He doesn't know why he he's kind of drawn towards this it's it's big and it's stone it's the only thing that's sort of untouched because mm. stone doesn't burn um he walks up to the stone hearth and he's looking at it and he just sort of brushes away some soot that's gathered and he sees a single word carved there and sure enough it says nilzaril it's his own family name he's never known Whoa. his family he's never known his ancestors and suddenly he stumbled upon both somehow in the middle of nowhere he came upon ancestors and his family name um he supposes that that means that the man, the Dunmer outside, is somehow related to him. Because he said the woman who was dead inside here is his cousin. He's, so he's standing there just sort of like awestruck. He just had this, this experience. He was visited by ghosts and they led him here. And this is his family, perhaps? This, these are some distant relatives. And he's still not able to fully process all this. He kind of is, he remains ambivalent to things. He's not able mm-hmm. to take it all in. But it's something. Something has stirred. This house has been burnt down. These people have been killed. Some sort of ritual was performed here. But that there was also vengeance. And the ancestors seemingly had been satisfied. That night, when he's eventually able to fall asleep, the ancestors, they come and visit him again. More clearly this time, he can kind of see more defined forms. And they speak to him. They speak to him of undeath, of malice, of blood, and of warning. And the last thing he sees before he wakes up is Azura this giant statue of Azura, who he's heard about, uh, Sings My Moon might be familiar with it. Then he wakes up, and they're all gone. And Nilfane is once again left feeling completely alone. The presence is gone. But now he knows he needs to go and see the, the shrine of Azura. Thank you for listening to episode five. We 
hope you enjoyed it. Uh, episode 6 will be coming out next week. If you have stories, you can share them with us at Pretenders Guild on Twitter or thepretendersguild at gmail.com. And do you have any final thoughts, Dylan? Uh, nope. All right. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. Cool. All right, bye.